Well, hello. Uh, hi, Seb. Um, it's great to be talking to you um, like this. I hope you're well. And we've got Dan uh, with us in this team. We're talking about the Isikos publication around uh, periprosthetic joint infection, um, which is, uh, it was great to be part of that, that book, um, um, full of, um, I, I hope people will find interesting material. But it'd be great to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, maybe just to kick off, um, just, just tell us a little bit about where you work, Seb, and your your own interest in 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 periprosthetic joint infection. And then, what was the what was the thinking of Isacos? Because I know you were chair of the arthroplasty committee when it came round to, to putting this together. What was the thinking um, for Isacos about the production of a book like this? Well, yeah, I'm I'm working in, in Lyon. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm doing mainly uh, arthroplasty, and uh, I'm also chairing the a specific department dealing with uh, periprosthetic infection. So that's why I got a specific interest uh, in that topic. And um, actually, this all started in Cancun, you know, during the uh, uh, last in-person ISACOS uh, meeting. And uh, we had a discussion with uh, uh, our uh, my co-editors on this book, and especially with uh, Umile Giuseppe Longo, just after uh, a symposium on uh, infection um, and uh, tonally arthroplasty. And we thought that it would be a great topic for uh, a book uh, from uh, uh, Isakos. And then um, we discussed with uh, Nicolas Budiparma uh, from Indonesia, Roland Becker from Germany, and uh, uh, Joao Espregar Mendes uh, from Portugal. And uh, uh, also, of course, we discussed with the executive committee. And we, we found it was a, a nice you know, uh, idea to work together. Uh, starting, of course, with the Neartroplasty Committee, Isakos Neartroplasty Committee, uh, and we had fantastic experts in the field of uh, infection and uh, knee replacement. So they have been really useful. They did a tremendous amount of work to get some uh, great scientific data, updated data on the, the, you know, the state of art and also a new way to manage this challenging situation, diagnosis, all these things. So um, it's all started with a discussion uh, during in Cancun and ended up with, I think, what's a, a nice book on this uh, interesting topic. Uh, Seb, this is Dan Washer from University of New Mexico in the United States. Uh, your book has contributions from authors around the world, but I think more importantly, from infectious disease specialists, basic sciences, and internists, in addition to orthopedic surgeons. In some countries, most prosthetic joint infections are treated in specialized centers with a multidisciplinary team. But in many parts of the world, these centers are not readily available. Can you comment on how your book will help those surgeons who lack access to specialized care centers? Yeah, that was one of the main idea of this book. And I think that's uh, also one of the goals of ISACOS is to try to share knowledge, uh, especially for surgeons who have not an easy access to, to this uh, amount of knowledge. So the idea was to provide some guidelines and you're absolutely right. The multidisciplinary team is crucial uh, when we're dealing with a periprosthetic infection. And we try to provide some advice about, you know, how, again, how to perform the, the right treatment or, or, or how to get the right diagnosis in this situation. So the idea was uh, exactly to provide some 
you know, data on what's the state of art and to make this, you know, uh, easier to actually use in their own practice, whatever, actually, as you said, you have access to a specialized center or not. Great. Um, thanks, Dan. And, and Seb, it's very interesting, isn't it? So I'm, I'm Andy Price, and as you know, I work in Oxford, and again, I'm also part of a specialised bone infection unit and um, really interesting work. But I think we all live in this world where uh, we kind of recognise that whatever treatment, however, however, whatever advances have been made, and if you look at DARE, one stage, two stage, um, all of these active attempts to reduce infection, we still, we still have quite significant recurrence rates. Um, uh, they differ, um, as you know, and um, but still you might expect 20% of cases for there to be recurrence. Um, where do you, where do you, how do you account for that? And where do you think we are with infection? This is still, I still think it's the thing that arthroplasty surgeons fear. Um, what, what's your view? I agree. I agree. It's still the main concern when we're dealing with uh, neoarthroplasty. We're trying to improve uh, the way we perform the surgery, getting some uh, you know smart devices. But uh, prevention, infection prevention, is still a very important topic. And I, I agree with you. Even if we improve what we are doing, we still have this 15 to 20 percent failure rate when we're dealing with infection. So that's why uh, you, you can see in the book and the, the, the surgeons are going to read the book can find a lot of information regarding prevention. We thought that treatment was, of course, important, but prevention was a very important topic. So we spent a lot of time trying to set up some interesting guidelines on how to try to reduce as much as possible the infection rate. Because as you said, once the infection is there, uh, the treatment is, is not easy. Yeah. Sebastian, there's been a trend worldwide towards performing knee replacement surgery in an outpatient setting. This trend started as a cost-saving measure, but it's been accelerated because of the hospital bed shortage caused by the COVID pandemic. Do you think this move to outpatient knee replacement surgery will affect the incidence of post-operative infection, either positive or negative? Well, I think the, the, the selection bias is important when we're talking about the patients operated on in the outpatient or ambulatory surgery center, uh, because we, we choose the patient with the less comorbidities, and probably that's the ones who are less, you know, uh, the, the, where the risk of infection is the, the less uh, important. So that's why when we say that doing surgery in the ambulatory surgical center, we get less infection, it might be true, but it might be also due to the selection bias. So I'm, I'm not sure, and it's going to be hard to prove because uh, it's going to be difficult to do a randomized controlled trial for that, that if the condition of the patient pre-op condition is the same, if you operate on them in ambulatory surgery center, the infection rate is going to be less. But um, I mean, the less you, the, if you shorten the, the hospital stay, my, my thinking would be it's, it's going to decrease the infection rate, but again, uh, a lot of selection bias for to prove that's going to be hard. Yeah, this is an interesting topic, isn't it? The whole the whole bit about how you influence the um, the infection rate by your environment. I guess another another thing to think about is is as technology changes um, that that might also influence our. Um, 
the, the infection rate. So if you take it as an example, and I know this is something of great interest to you, Seb, look at the robotic arena. Um, there's, there's on one hand, you could, you could argue that increased surgical time, uh, more people in theatre, greater, greater amount of kit, um, the, 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 the flow might be disturbed. Now, this might trend towards an increased infection rate, or you might argue that um, if we get good at robotic surgery and we're faster and we're slicker and more minimal soft tissue um, damage, that you might have a, a positive influence with a reduction in infection rate. Where do you think this is going to come out? Well, we do have some data um, already uh, with some registries, like the Australian one. They yeah. started to show some tendencies for partial knee replacements. Uh, but again, it might depend on you know, the environment, as you said, uh, and uh, maybe have some, uh, some significant effect of the center where the surgery is done. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to make some, to draw some very you know, hard conclusion uh, from that, but it's showing some tendency. Um, I mean, for, during the learning curve, probably, as you said, the, the surgical time is going to be the key factor. And if, since you are increasing your surgical time, and as you said, very nicely, people in the OR and, you, you know, changing the, the workflow, it might have more infection. You might have more infection. But again, I don't have data proving that, but it could be something we could expect at the beginning. But then... As you said, as well, because you 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 decrease the soft tissue damages and then you control the surgical time, you could expect maybe at least same uh, infection rate or decrease the infection rate. But uh, again, today some you know strong data showing that I, I'm not aware of of uh, anything we can rely on, just the, the registry data. But it's a uh, it's a very important question because as you said. Infection uh, is the, the main fear that we have as an arthroplasty surgeon. It's a really challenging situation, and you, you don't want to bring into your OR some innovative technology that's going to increase the infection rate. That's, gonna, that's not going to work. So, that's, so we, we have to know and we have to, to make sure that we are not increasing the infection rate, you know, in, uh, bringing some uh, new devices uh, in our OR. So it's a very important question, and I think this is something we should... Uh, work on to, to try to, to document that. We, we did some studies um, with uh, some, uh, some more robots regarding portions as well in my department to, to try to show if we were increasing the complication rate, infection rate, couldn't prove that. So it was uh, something reassuring for us, but uh, we, we need this data and uh, today um... I don't have them. It certainly reinforces the the need. I think, as we're all we're all aware, and Isikos is very you know very clear on this. This is a so data collection supporting these changes with ongoing prospective data collections, kind of kind of key, isn't it? Dan, over to you. Yeah. Uh, so, Seb, as you talked about, uh, I think one of the strengths of the book is the emphasis on prevention of infection, because certainly the best way to treat infection is to prevent it. <clears throat> Some arthroplasty centers are moving to routine use of vancomycin as a prophylactic antibiotic. How do we balance the benefit to the patient receiving vancomycin with the risk of antibiotic resistance to one of our most powerful antibiotics? Yeah, I think it also depends on uh, um, the, the location where you're working on and the, the, the kind of, you know, uh, uh, bugs that are, you know, you know, the, the reason for infection. So it's really, I know it's different in uh, North America from Europe, you know, we probably don't have to deal with the same organism. Uh, 
Uh, I know that in my country, you know, we use vancomycin only for patients who are allergic to uh, kefadolin. And that's not the, the, we don't see the tendency to, to use vancomycin as a, a primary, you know, um, prophylactic uh, antibiotic. But I understand that uh, if uh, in some other, you know, area you are dealing with a different organism and that uh, you, you see some resistance and uh, so you, you, you might be tempted to, um, to switch to other strategy for a prophylactic, uh, you know, antibiotic. So, but uh, again, I think it's difficult to provide some guidelines uh, for every, you know, every area uh, in the world. And that's why we, tr we try to get some, uh, uh, you know, um, articles from really different locations. That's also the strength of Isacos. You know, Isacos is a, a real... Uh, worldwide, you know, scientific um, community. And that's one of, because you, you can probably write such a book uh, with a lot of uh, colleagues from North America, it would be easy and you would have the, the North American view. We could do the same with Andrew from Europe, but that would not answer the question that our colleagues could ask from Asia or from, you know, South America. So it was one of the key of uh, uh, Isakos, when we decided to do this book, is to, to have information from all around the world to try to answer the, this kind of question you're asking. Seb, when you, I know the and um, I know how how much work um, goes into bringing these sorts of things together, and congratulations to the team and the editorial team for doing that. Um, when you came to reflect on it at the end. Um, I think as orthopedic surgeons, we're, we're um, you know, sometimes you, um, you know, with infection, because of our, our attitude to it, there's a kind of negative feel about it. But, but at the same time, I know certainly you share with me and Dan this, this view that new technology in orthopedics is so important. What struck you as the key new technologies going forward? We've got, you know, um, there are, there's the whole world of um, sequencing, genetic sequencing, our view of diagnosis. Um, there's prevention through coated implants. And, and we're trying to, you know, some of these key questions about one, two stage, you know, there's a whole load of things to, to understand in terms of evidence. But what about the key technologies? What, was, what really excited you from the book? Uh, yeah, number one, you, you're right, the diagnosis. I, I was really excited to see the new strategies to, to get, you know, rapid diagnosis and to, to, to I think that's opening a field from, for, you know, new strategy for treatment, especially one stage, and that's the key. Now we know exactly the organism uh, responsible for infection and how to, to, you know, to be really efficient to treat it. So that's the key. Number one is the uh, you know, all the progress regarding uh, diagnosis. Then regarding prevention, I, I also, I'm also really expecting uh, a lot from, you know, what kind of implant could prevent infection. You're absolutely right. Some specific coating, uh, preventing, you know, infection after arthroplasty, that would be a game changer, you know. The day we have a, a, a specific implant or coating for our implant that is proven to decrease the infection rate, that's going to be a major changes uh, in uh, our practice. And then regarding treatments, yeah, it's, uh, as we all know, uh, we try to decrease, you know, um, the the soft tissue or bone uh, damage we do during a revision, and uh, uh, we try to to see if doing one stage uh, is do, we can get the same outcome or even better outcome than doing two stages. So a lot of data now, especially from 
you know, uh, some of our colleagues from, uh, you know, Germany and the clinic and from uh, uh, other uh, specialized centers are showing that uh, going for one stage, you can also get excellent results, even in yeah. some very challenging situations. So that's also new regarding the treatment strategy. So I would say that's the three area where I was excited to, to, to see uh, the progress, the new thing, the innovation uh, regarding uh, infection in new replacements. Great. Well, thanks, Sebastian. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, the book is titled Infection and Knee Replacement. Uh, it's available as a free download for ISACOS members on the ISACOS website and also available for purchase on the website uh, for those non-members. Uh, but it's an excellent book on uh, diagnosis, management, and prevention of infection and knee replacement. Thanks so much. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. Thank you very much, Seb. Thanks to all of the Isikos team as well, um, who support the arthroplasty group, putting together books like this and podcasts. So um, thanks to everybody. And I hope everybody found this as, uh, this is great fun. Thanks, Seb, for your time. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks a lot, thanks, Andrew. Dan.